0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. I've entitled this message, Modern Miracles. Modern Miracles. Now when I use the term miracle today, I do not mean like some would use the term miracle today. I'm not talking about Benny Hinn walking up and slapping somebody upside the forehead and then calling it a miracle. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about when God does something that we cannot explain naturalistically humanistically or any otheristically. It is the invisible hand of the Lord. I've actually seen pictures or video clips of him where he waves his hand around the air as if he's some, in some mystical fashion grabbing something out of the air and then he takes his, his supposed spiritual baseball bat and then hits it up in the stands and some people fall over. Let me tell you something, that's mockery. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit if I have never seen it before. I mean, the ability that man had, has the power to grab God out of the air and treat it in such a fashion... That's not what I'm talking about when I use the term miracle today. I'm talking about when God does something that we do not understand. It's the invisible hand of the Lord. And I want you to know that I stand here today, my very existence being a miracle. And as we know from the scriptures, every miracle begins with faith. Cortland Bryant was born January 13, 1917 in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. His early life was in the wake of the Great War, otherwise known as World War I. At the age of 11, while attending his aunt's funeral, the Lord began to impress upon him the desire to become his minister. Not desiring to pursue such a course, he denied God and set on his own path. By the beginning of World War II, he had finished high school and was starting college to obtain his bachelor's degree in accounting. With the war raging on in Europe, it had seemed more likely that America would become involved in the conflict. Young Mr. Bryant was drafted in the army with only three credits remaining before he finished his college studies. That's one class. While training for his future possible deployment to Europe, he spent his weekends studying and finishing his last class. He graduated in May of 1941, despite many obstacles and difficulties. On December 7th, 1941, with a vicious and calculated attack, Japan bombed our Pacific Naval Port at Pearl Harbor. It was during this time that Mr. Bryan surrendered his life and made his life altering promise to God. He told God that if he got him through the war, he would become his minister. One day preceding his deployment, his regiment went on a forced march of 50 miles through the streets and on some treacherous ground. The pavement and terrain was grueling in the feet and knees of the soldiers and Mr. Bryant was injured. He proceeded to get medical attention for his knee and received a shot of Novocaine to the spine to help with the pain. And uh, shortly after this treatment, Mr. Bryant became suddenly paralyzed from head to toe. The doctors were stunned at the sudden onset of paralysis. Baffled and confused and not knowing what to do, they diagnosed him with polio. The the doctors attempting to save young Mr. Bryant from a life of paralysis tried an experimental surgery which failed miserably. The lead doctor in order to cover up this failed surgery declared Mr. Bryant dead on the operating table and had him placed in the morgue. What I want you to see from this message today is that you must have faith in God if you want to experience the miraculous. You must have faith in God if you want to experience the miraculous. Let me tell you something. We are in a dark time in our country. You can just look, turn on the news channel, look anywhere in in the streets, go around in town. You can see we are in a very dark day. People are walking around with their heads held low Now, high. I believe that God is humbling our nation. But listen, if we want to see the revivals that we have been praying for so earnestly for so many years, it is going to be when we put our faith in God and we ask God to work a miracle in this situation. First thing I want you to see from this message is the principles of faith. The principles of faith. What is faith? If I were to ask everybody in here to give me a definition of faith, I bet every single hand would probably go up. But oftentimes, what we perceive something to be is not necessarily what it is, because how do we learn what words are? Do we not, we go to grade school, and we're taught from a very young age what a word means. I mean, the teacher shall go to the dictionary, and she'll write down this word, and she'll write down the definition, and she'll make us memorize it. That's how we learn what words are. We're taught them in school. But you know, where does this word actually come from? It comes from a group of men who've come together, and they've agreed that according to our English language, that this is what the word means. And so they define it as this, this fashion, and so they tell us that this is what the word means, even though it may not actually be the way God defines this Christian word. Let me give you Webster's Dictionary. Webster defines faith as, some, faith as confidence or trust in a person or thing. Belief that is not based on proof. Belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. Did you catch that? Belief that is not based on proof. You see, the world defines faith as something that is not based, in fact, a reality. It basically sums up faith as a chance of luck. So faith, according to the world, is nothing more than picking what sounds best to you according to your own knowledge and then placing your bet on it. You know, all across our country today, we have people who from a very young age have been going to a public educational system. They're taught from a very young age that we have evolved from some primordial ooze. I don't know where the ooze came from, but this primordial ooze over the process of millions of years or millions of millions of years or hundreds of millions of years, as they say today even because they keep on having to change this number because the math doesn't add up. And they're taught this from a very young age that we we evolved from some primordial ooze into some bacteria and bacteria into a fish, a fish to a frog, frog to a tadpole, or a tadpole to a frog, excuse me, or whichever one they want to say this day. And then they go on down the line to a monkey and then finally a monkey to a man. And they're taught this all across our nation today that this is how we came to be. And so what happens to that individual who's been taught that or indoctrinated to believe that in their entire life? It's their own preconceived notion. It's what they believe to be true. They're going to put their faith in it. You know, the same thing is true with someone who grows up in a Catholic church. That are, they're, they're taught they need to do the acts of attrition. They need to do works of righteousness. They need to confess their sins to a priest. They need to do all these things, and they might obtain salvation, even though none of them are taught in Scripture as they, they define them. But they're taught that they have to do all these things. So what happens to that individual when they become an adult? They're going to put their faith in it. It's what they've been taught their entire life. It's what they believe to be true. It is horrible that so many people live their lives by this blind and uneducated faith. It is the reason why 97% of the world are atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Catholics, and even some Baptists. They live by a simple worldly definition of faith and not upon the the faith that the scriptures describe. But please do not misunderstand me. There is an element of uncertainty in faith, but there is a difference between what the world says that faith is and what God says that faith is. Let me give you a scriptural definition. Faith is dependence upon God and his promises. It is based upon the facts of scripture and the dependability of the one who wrote it despite all of life's uncertainties and Satan's attempts to, dist- to discredit God's name and destroy God's word. Faith is reliance upon God that he can do the impossible despite all uncertainty. You see, faith is not a gamble when it comes to God. Amen. It is an assurance that God will perform the impossible in order that he will gain the glory. It says we are not here for our own purposes. We were created for one purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God, Now, how are we as men to bring glory to God? Because if you study Isaiah and Ezekiel, you'll come to the conclusion basically that Satan says God is not worthy to sit on the throne. But I see if you read the end of the story in the book of Revelation, there is only one who is worthy. Isn't that the discussion there? Jesus Christ is the only one who is worthy. As it will be declared, as it is true. So how did God, how is God gonna prove who he says he is? How is he going to prove it? I believe he created man for that purpose. Knowing full well that men would sin and do what they did, what Adam would do, but God always made a way of escape through the Lord Jesus Christ, himself leaving his throne to pay for our sins. Yeah. Amen. And so here we are in this situation today, and we're looking at this, how, is, how are we the evidence? How can we do this? Because in God's law, there's the law of the evidence and the law of testimony, we are both. I will gladly raise my hand and say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. He will not change. He is God. Amen. Yeah. Satan and his minions will never get the victory, no matter how much they try. Right. And man, are they trying today. Let's break this verse down a little. Let's look at the substance of faith. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The, the, the first word for sub, or the, the first substance of faith, according to verse 1, is hope. Notice here in verse 1 that the word substance means essence, or, or material, or matter. The true essence, or the matter, or the material, are the foundation of faith, according to this verse, is hope. But notice in verse 1 that hope is being described as future, while the evidence is being described as past. So faith has two elements of time. Hope for the future based upon the evidence of the past. This goes right against the world's definition of faith, and they said that there was no evidence to it, and God's own definition of faith right here says there is evidence to faith. Amen. The second substance of faith is testimony. Look at verse 2. For by it, that it there is a, referring back to the subject of the previous verse, for by faith the elders obtained testimony a good report. The elders reported the miraculous happenings because they witnessed it. Moses and the Jewish people witnessed the splitting of the Red Sea. When Christ was on earth and he healed the people, the news spread that that the Messiah had come because the people witnessed the miraculous. Does it make any sense that one man should walk up to another man who had been paralyzed from birth and say to that man, rise up and walk and he gets up and walks? That doesn't make any sense naturalistically, humanistically, or any otheristically. What about the individual who had never seen a day in his life or heard a day in his life and and Jesus said to them, receive your sight or receive your healing? That doesn't make any sense naturalistically or humanistically. But when God is in the equation, it makes all the sense in the world. Because every time that Jesus went to that individual and he said, take up thy bed and walk or receive your healing or or, or whatever the situation he was going through, whatever it was he was going through, every time that happened, Jesus proved exactly who he said he was. He told the woman at the well that he was the God of heaven. He told his disciples that he was the Christ, meaning God in flesh. He told them, and he proved who he was by the the actions that he did. And he gave us that evidence, and that evidence is recorded for us here in the Word of God. The third substance of faith is evidence. Hope is faith based upon evidence. One piece of evidence is the testimony of these elders. These elders are shown through this entire passage of Scripture Many are listed here like Moses, Noah, Abraham. But there are thousands of others who are not listed here but who had this same faith. I'm sure everybody here is familiar with the story of doubting Thomas. He doesn't believe that Jesus Christ had risen again from the dead. He said, I'm not going to believe not unless I can see him and I can stick my hand in his side. But immediately when he saw him, he believed. Yeah. And listen to Jesus' reply to him in John 20, 29. He said, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You know, oftentimes we think of the disciples and we think, wow, they were so blessed. And rightly so, they were. I mean, they got to eat with Jesus. They got to sit with Jesus. They got to hear direct revelation from God to man. And rightly so, they were blessed. But Jesus here does not say that they're the blessed ones. When Jesus says in this verse, he says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Who is Jesus talking about in that passage? Us. Us. There is not a single person on this planet today who has ever seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care about one day, they had some pizza and they couldn't get into that deep sleep and they had a dream about Jesus. There is no one who has stood face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ because he is at the right hand of the Father waiting for God to say, go get your church. Because that's what scripture says, not what man want to make up. And so here's this, we are in this situation today with faith. Another piece of evidence is creation. Hebrews 11.3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Through faith, which is persuasion based upon evidence, we are now able to understand or comprehend that God created the world by his spoken word. You ever notice that throughout history, we didn't have to study certain aspects of scripture until uh, Satan attacked it, trying to prove God a liar? Until Charles Darwin came up with a theory of evolution, let me tell you something, it is still a theory today. They have never proven it. I don't care what they put in their, in their, their massive uh, museums across this country, and they try and purport all this evidence and try and stack it up like there, there's truth to it. When they in their own no, minds know that all of it was debunked scientifically. They know it, yet they still try and put Lucy in the museum as being fact when they know it's fiction. I love science. One of my favorite subjects in school, I absolutely love science. Sometimes I pick on science, but that's because the science of today is not true science. You know, in science, in order to prove a theory or your hypothesis true, you must observe it happening. Any definition you look up, you will find that statement in some form or fashion. You must observe it happening. Observational science. Let me ask you a question today. What scientist has ever witnessed how we have come to be? Can anybody name one? None. What are they doing? They're looking at the evidence based upon their preconceived notions. Oh, I don't want to believe that there's a God. There is no God. You can't prove to me that there's a God. So there must be another way from their preconceived notions and they're drawing inferences upon it. You know what that is? The world's definition of faith. No evidence. What I want to believe is true. Therefore, there must be pink fairies flying around in the forest somewhere. People actually do believe that. Let me ask you another question. Who did witness how we came to be? God did. And God said in his word how he did it. And what we need to do as Christians is get back to believing what God has said. Turn over to Genesis chapter number one. just want to share something real quick with you. In science, in, order to, uh, in, in science, there is something what we call a dimension. In order for a dimension to exist, four things must be present. Time, space, matter, and energy. Did you know in verse number one, all four are present? That's because God is creating our dwelling place. You see, notice in verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. In the beginning shows uh, time. God created, that's your energy, according to Hebrews 11.3. How was that energy? Through his spoken word, the heaven, this is not referring to what Jesus refers to as paradise in the New Testament. I don't have time to take you to all these verses tonight to show you this, but this is referring to what we refer to as outer space. It is not referring to our firmament, or as it refers to as the firmament in here in a little bit. This is referring to outer space, the expanse of nothingness, and matter. The earth is matter. Well, you might ask the question, well, how do you know that that's matter? Because In the Hebrew language as well as the English language, God chose to preserve this word, and this word is just this tittle, just a small little thing. And what this small little thing is, is a conjunction. And it joins one thought to another thought. And that word is the word and. And the earth, what earth? Oh, well, we're talking about a different earth here, so that we can take evolution and try and squeeze it into the Bible and make it fact when it's fiction, well, I, I believe that God can use evolution, and I believe that God can create things at the same time. Yeah, but there's a difference in that. I don't have time to go into the details between micro and macro evolution, but things do not evolve and change from one species to another. It doesn't happen. They've never proven it. There are different sp- sub-changes in species. We refer to that in, as uh, uh, genetics. That's why everybody doesn't look exactly the same. But notice it says that the earth there, matter, was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, here's the interesting thing. Notice it says, how many of you have ever seen a, a, an astronaut in space before? you ever seen that before? This, so he'll take this kind of toothpaste tube out, and he'll kind of squeeze this water out, and it kind of float and jellobulate. You ever seen it? It's without form, and it's in void, it's in emptiness, and here's the matter floating in space. But here's the interesting thing. If you look at verse number 1, That word create means to create from nothing. In other words, there was nothing. God spoke everything into existence. But if you jump down to verse 16, it says, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light he made uh, to rule the night. He made the stars also. That's a completely different word. You know what that word means? It means to take from something and create something else. Oftentimes we think of an artist and we think, wow, what a beautiful masterpiece that they have created but they really didn't create it. They didn't say, you know what? I want a picture of Mona Lisa. Poof, Mona Lisa, and it's just there. It doesn't happen that way. They have to go get the mud and the clay and the, the, the oil and all these things, and they mix them together, and they make their paints and their different colors, and then they make it. They don't create it. God is the only being that has the ability to create. Not even Satan has the ability to create. He can only manipulate, as the Exodus was showing us, manipulate what God has created that's what the 10 plagues were, were partly showing us in that. Turn back to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Or Hebrews, just Hebrews 11. Faith, according to Hebrews, is hope based upon evidence derived from God and the testimony of those who have witnessed God's miraculous acts. We've seen the principles of faith. Now let's look secondly at the possibilities of faith. In Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 38, we see the possibilities of the miraculous. Now for the sake of time, we're not going to read all these verses. Jump down to verse number 29. It says, by faith they pass through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, a saying to do, were drowned. Now, hold on, pause there. You know that story. Egypt, or, uh, Israel, they finally escape out of Egypt there, and they finally make it down to the Red Sea. And listen, this is not some little little water where they're afraid to walk through and get their feet muddy. Okay, this is the sea. If they tried to swim this, they would drown. The other side of, of the pillar of cloud and fire was an army seeking to destroy them. And they're in panic. What are we going to do? We can't get out of this situation And Moses prays and God says, take your rod, hold it over the sea, and God parts the water and listen, as Hebrews says, dried the very ground that they were going to walk on. Let me remember down to a stream before and it dries up. How long does that take? Well, this is a miracle from God. God dried the ground. Split the water and dried the ground. And they went across and you know what happened? Egypt is looking at that and thinking, wow, look at that. They go through and what happens? Water comes crashing down. Was it because God just hated those wicked Egyptians? No, not according to this verse. They weren't putting their faith in the one who was holding up the water. You see, the word assay means to try. They tried it in their own might. They thought, hey, we can do it. If they can, so can we. And they went through and that water killed them and came down and crushed them and destroyed them. It wasn't because God hated them. Because they weren't trusting in the one who was holding up the waters. Just as Cain didn't trust in the way that God had told him in the, original, in the Garden of Eden, and, and Abel did. Abel said, I'm going to trust God and provide that sacrifice. And he did, and Cain knew, but he chose not to. He tried to do it in his own might. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that way is trying not to do it God's way. It has always been by faith. Faith looking forward to the finished work of Christ or faith in our present time looking back to what Jesus Christ has done. It has always been by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse number 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down if they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when they received the spies with peace. And what shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David, often of Samuel, of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Jump down to verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. God says that those that put their faith in him, that the world is not even worthy of them. Faith makes prayer successful. Have you ever thought about prayer? I mean, genuinely just given thought to it? Prayer is bringing what we need or our heart's desires to God. But you know, we can pray all day long and never get a single prayer answered because prayer without faith is pointless. It is nothing more than a running of the lips and hoping that someone will answer. There are people all over this world today They go to their Buddhist shrines, their Hindu temples, their Catholic churches, and they'll go and they'll bow down before some dead, dumb idol made with man's hands, molded by man, makes absolutely no sense to me, and they'll bow down for this dumb idol thinking that it can answer their prayers, and they'll do this over and over. They'll light their their things, they'll ring their gongs, they'll cast their gold and their money before it, and there'll be this great big gold altar that people are starving in the streets, and here they are bowing down before this this thing, and the answer is right before them, take it and go. Feed your family. This idol can't answer your prayers. And they'll pray to it every single day, hoping for a semblance of an answer, yet we who serve the living God, do we pray? When God says in his word that he inclines his ear unto us, do we really pray? What happened to the days of old when churches would meet and have a real genuine prayer meeting? Where it was, I'm not, don't, don't, don't criticize, I'm not being critical here. Please understand, I realize we're in a prayer meeting time, and sometimes this happens. But what I'm saying is, where are the days that we met for the purpose of praying? I'm not talking about Wednesday night. I'm talking about when we meet on a Thursday or a Friday and we commit to ourselves, you know what, we're going to pray, we're going to pray for this hardship, we're going to pray for this country, we're going to get together as men, as women, as whatever, and we're going to pray that God will work in this situation. Let me tell you something, when we get back to our closets and do as Jesus commanded us to do, to go and get alone, that is when we're going to see God work. That is when we're going to see God do the miracles he did in the, old, in the old times. When our faith is in another people and it's in him. Faith makes the miraculous possible. Faith is shown through action and trust. Abel acted upon what God had said. Look at Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. How many of you are familiar with the story of the centurion? Everybody know that story? He hears about Jesus' miraculous healing ability, and he travels a long distance to get to Jesus. And when he gets to him, he says, Jesus, can you heal my servant's daughter? And Jesus says, sure, I'll go with you back the long distance he had traveled to get there. And Centurion says, whoa, you don't need to do that. And he, gives him, he gives an illustration. He said, because I'm one in command, I say to one, go when he goeth, to another, do when he doeth. What's he giving an illustration of? Authority. He was saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, all you need to do is speak the word. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I have not seen so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. You see, the centurion understood something that the people of that day didn't get, and that is this. In order for something to happen, all that needs to happen is for God to speak the word. Let me tell you something. The hardship we're going in our country, we need to get our hands and knees and humble ourselves before a holy God in heaven and say, God, we need you to work in this situation. There is nothing in ourselves that we can do, Father, but we put our faith and trust in you that you're going to work everything out to your honor and your glory. Faith is shown through action when everyone else doubts. Blind Bartimaeus begging by the wayside hears of Jesus' miraculous healing ability. Jesus comes by, he says, Jesus, heal me. What did his disciples do? Shh. They quieted him. Oh, well, I don't want to bother Jesus. I don't want to disturb him. I'll just keep my blindness. Is that what he did? No. He cried the louder. Jesus, heal me. Jesus said, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let me tell you something. Sometimes you're going through trials and tribulations and nobody understands what you're going through and these hardships that you are facing. But can I tell you, there is one who does understand and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven. He was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. He knows our hardships. But what he wants us to do is to go to him and put our faith in him and in him alone. And that is when we will see God work. Going, there is just story after story of how faith makes the miraculous possible. I can tell you in my own life of how God has provided miracle after miracle after miracle. That while going through college, my dad owned his own business and uh, the, he sold it to another guy who ran the business in the ground. My, my parents lost everything. They were going to lose their house and everything. My dad called me one day. He was paying half of my tuition uh, for college, which is about $600 a month. And he called me and he said, I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't help you anymore. I had cashed in my retirement from the five years I had worked, and I I was using that to my education. That took me one semester. And I said, well, okay, I'll trust God. I'm going to see what the Lord's going to do. And I went and got a job. This is uh, 2009, halfway through the year. You understand what was going on with the recession at that time. It was hard to find a job. Anything that wasn't part-time. So I I worked a part-time job at a Christian bookstore. I made $425 a month. I moved off campus to cut costs for my $1,200 school bill about there, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, to cut costs on that. So I'm paying $300 a month in rent and utilities and everything else. That leaves me about $125 every month. But can I tell you, every single month, God showed himself up, showed himself faithful, and provided for my college education every single month, over $650 almost every month. God showed himself. There were many times I'd walk in and I'd say, look, I got $25 for you this month. That was all I could get for you. Or another time I walked in with 100. And I said, well, praise the Lord, somebody put $1,000 on your school bill this month. And that would take care of that month and part of the other month. God was working. Amen. And there were many times, listen, I, I am not lean if you know what I mean, but God provided every single day. Every single day. I, there were times I would go to the, where I worked uh, and I would, there was a Chick-fil-A next door And I would go in there and I'd buy a large sweet tea. Now, in order to get this large sweet tea, I'd go to the student commons where nobody was, when no one was around, and I'd pull up the couch cushions to find the change because it falls out of these pockets so easily. And so I'd pull up this cushion and and I'd walk along the side of the road and I'd look for change along the side of the road and I'd pick it up. And I'd take that dollar to $1.50 and I'd go in there and I'd buy a large sweet tea at the Chick-fil-A. Let me tell you something. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. You tap a vein. There's sweet tea in it. I love sweet tea. Okay, I am from the South. So here I was, I'd go buy this large sweet tea, and it, they gave me limited refills. That's one of the reasons why I did this. But every time I, I went up to that register and I would look to see if it happened to other people, and it, always, it didn't always happen. It didn't always happen when I went to the register, for the people in front of me or for me, and I didn't know them, they didn't know me. My faith was in God. And I would watch as it happened, I'd go up there and I'd buy my sweet tea, and the receipt would print out and say, "Fill out this survey, get a free chicken sandwich." I lived on chicken sandwiches. Just for buying a large sweet tea, God gave me a Chick-fil-A sandwich. After a while, my wallet was like the widow's jar. I had chick- so many Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I'm giving them away. It was another time. I didn't have anything. It was my birthday, actually. And I said, Lord, I'd, I'd like something else to eat. I'm going to trust that you'll provide. I said, I'll, I'll eat Chick-fil-A if you want me to. But I'm going to trust that you'll provide something else. And I drove to the Walmart parking lot. And it, Walmart. And, and on my way there, it was pouring cats and dogs. I mean, so bad, I couldn't see two feet in front of me. You know what I'm talking about? One of those torrential downpours that's bouncing six feet up off the ground. And so I drove to the Walmart parking spot, and the front parking spot was open. That's a miracle in itself, because whenever it's raining outside, where where do you have to park? All the way in the back, right? So here I was, I pull in that front parking spot, I prayed and said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I opened my door, I stepped out in faith, and there's a $10 bill floating in a puddle of water. Let me tell you something, God knows exactly what you need when you need it, but what he wants you to do is put your faith and trust in him. Going back to the story of Private Bryant, he lay in the morgue for a good two days before a nurse of Newman High School came to pay her respects. While there, she noticed that he was still breathing and that his pinky finger was moving. Horrified, the young nurse went for help, but no one would believe her cries. Desperate, she contacted a general of another base who was a friend of her father's and told him of the situation. Horrified, the young nurse went for help, but no one would believe her cries. Uh, or, excuse me, told him of the situation. The general came to the facility and removed the lead doctor for, and placed Mr. Bryant in the hands of a more capable surgeon. The general had a doctor look into his condition though he was in a, uh, and was able to repair the damage done to him from the experimental surgery. Miraculously, he began to regain feeling. Slowly over time, his condition improved, though he was in a wheelchair for almost a year. During this time, the general, who showed remarkable interest in young Private Bryant, found out that he could type. Typing, being a much-needed skill during the war, asked him to decode and retype incoming military intelligence communications from overseas while he recovered. The general also found during discussions with Private Bryant that he had completed his college education and found him to be a capable soldier. He worked in counterintelligence and decoding intelligence communications. By the time his body was fully recovered and he was able to go back to the front lines, the general informed him that he put him up for a military commendation and was sending him to officer candidate school. After training and being commissioned as an officer, Lieutenant Bryant went to the front lines of the Pacific. He served faithfully his country and his God by trying to save both men's lives. And their souls. in one instance, he witnessed to his entire platoon one evening. Mockingly, they told him that they did not need to know his God and they did not want to know Jesus Christ. One of the men actually took off his boot and threw it at him for suggesting that he needed Jesus Christ. Heartbroken, but dutifully sworn to protect the lives of the men under his command, he sought to protect them as best he could. Shortly after the incident in the tent, the company found themselves in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. While on patrol one day, they came upon an ambush set by the Japanese and it was a horrific fight. And Lieutenant Bryant's worst nightmare came to pass. The entire company was wiped out within a short time. They were pinned down from three sides by the Japanese with their flank being the only escape route. Meanwhile, under this intense fire, they called in Japanese air bombers, which are called Zeros, to come and bomb their position. Lieutenant Bryant took grenade shrapnel at the back and both eardrums were blown out from the concussions of the blast. Everyone else was killed or wounded to the point of death. He lay on the ground terribly wounded with a Japanese infantryman, pressing the barrel of the rifle to his head and squeezing the trigger. The last thing I want you to see from this message this evening is the power of faith. The power of faith. Look at Hebrews eleven six. It says, but without him it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to, cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith persuades God to act. In the entire passage of Hebrews chapter 11, we see God being persuaded to act based upon an individual's faith. Faith persuades God to give peace. When faith was shown by these men in the midst of the greatest trials they ever faced in their life, it was when they put their faith in God that they received the peace of God. And finally, faith persuades the lost to trust Christ. Salvation is more than believing that Jesus Christ existed. Many people believe this and are still lost. Salvation is more than believing that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. A lot of Christians believe that, but they're still lost. While all these things are true, the gospel is more than that. You must understand your sinful condition. You must understand that you you deserve to spend an eternity in hell just for being born a sinner. But who are we in this life that we think that there is something good and innate in us that we can please God, that somehow our good works will ever outweigh our bad? We try and justify ourselves before God. Well, God, I know I sinned here, but hey, I gave 20 bucks to this person down the street, this homeless guy. That should, that should build me some up from the sins I've done. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 64, 6 says, but all we like an unclean thing and all our righteousness, those good things we think we do, are as filthy rags. And we all do fate as a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. There is nothing good in ourselves. We are wicked and desperately wicked. As Romans three ten and 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, none, no, not one. God says we are all unrighteous and we all deserve an eternity in hell but by the grace of God he would provide a way of escape and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ the God of heaven who came to this earth to pay for our sins as Romans three eighteen says he that believeth on him is not condemned because he hath not believed or because he hath believed or Excuse me. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only Son of God. As John 3, 36 says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. In other words, if you're in this situation and you're thinking that there's something you can do to get to heaven, you're going to hell. There is nothing you can do. The only thing you have the opportunity and the ability to do is to put your faith not off in yourself and to put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done. Because he is the only one who never one time sinned, never had that wicked thought. He was holy and pure without blame, and as Scripture says, that he went to a cross and died. For the wages of sin is death. He didn't have any sin to die for. And for whom did he die? The rest of that verse is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ took everything and it was all nailed to him. But the story didn't end there. He was buried and three days later he came up from the grave showing he had victory over sin and death. Amen. So that we through faith can look to Christ and put our faith in him and in him alone. As Romans three ten 3, uh, 10, 10 and 9... 9 through 10 and 13 says, but that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart uh, man believeth unto righteousness. Uh, Excuse me, I got that backwards. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, I did get it right. For, the heart, for with the heart man believeth in a righteousness and when the mouth confession is made into salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Listen, it isn't about us. It's all about him. And he has done it all. And all we need to do is put our faith and trust in him and him alone. In closing, we last left Lieutenant Cortland Bryant wounded in Papua New Guinea at the point of death. A rifle aimed at his head by a Japanese infantryman Bleeding from shrapnel all over his back and, a, uh, and, and two ruptured eardrums from the concussion bombs that were dropped. barrel to the head in the infantryman squeezing the trigger when his commanding officer yelled, stop. He ordered the man to let him suffer because he was as good as dead already. The Japanese dispersed and left Lieutenant Bryant to die. For about a day, he lay on the ground at the point of death until he was rescued by American forces searching for the lost company. He was the only survivor of the ambush and carried the marks of, his death, uh, of the skirmish until his death many years later. Many other miraculous events happened to Lieutenant Bryant before his career ended in the Army. As promised, after the war, he left the military and went in the seminary where he became a Baptist pastor for 30 years. For years, he had struggled with survivor's guilt, and it plagued him through most of his ministry. It wasn't his sep- uh, until his 70s that he met a man who had been paralyzed in the war, and a man had one thing to say to him he thanked him for sharing Jesus Christ with him, despite his re- reaction at the time. didn't even know the man survived. He thanked, for, he thanked him for sharing Jesus Christ with him despite his reactions. If it had not been for Lieutenant Bryant's faithfulness to Christ, that man may never have met Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. When you're standing in that grocery store line and you're seeing that individual's tattoos from head to toe and we're looking at that individual thinking they're not gonna fit in my church and the Holy Spirit is crying out, hey, no, you need to share gospel with him. You need to hit him a track. You need to invite him to church. And we're thinking, says, I can't talk to them, let me tell you something, I've been there. I've been there. What do we really have to fear in our country? Really. I know things are kind of shaky now. But you hear about people going out in the streets and witnessing to people in the midst of all this and people are getting saved while we sit in the comfort of our own own churches. Let me tell you something, we're never gonna reach them if we don't get out of here and go out to them out there. I told you in the beginning that my very existence was a miracle. Lieutenant Cortland Bryant was my grandfather. Twice God saved this man's life, which eventually enabled him to have five children, my mother being the youngest. I stand here today because God saw fit in his infinite mercy and grace to, 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 to save another young, stubborn boy from the streets of Boston and perform yet again another miracle. And now two generations later, I go back to the same side of the world that he fought to free from the Japanese oppression, but the battle that I have been called to is the battle for the souls of men. So I want to leave you with a question this evening, Church. How will your faith change the next generation? How is it I can go to a country like this to reach them with the gospel when they're the number one persecuted country in the world? Because I saw God see himself faithful over and over and over and over again through my grandfather's lives and then all through scripture we see God showing himself faithful for those who put their faith and trust in him to work miracles so that God would get the glory. So how can I go there? Because God can. He is able. How will your faith change the next generation? What will your life story be? Will you be one of the faithful or one of the faithless? God is still in the business of the miraculous. Pastor. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.